Hello and thank you for joining us for our last and final night of Pieces of the Story of Job. This is our last and final week in our six-week series that serves as a snapshot into the book of Job, providing comfort and encouragement to anyone experiencing a difficult circumstance. I imagine some listening are going through a difficult circumstance. Have you ever felt broken or have you ever wondered why things went the way they did? Many of us often have thoughts just like this. And Job's story is often our story. Yet even in the middle of pain and suffering, we can trust in the power of God. And so I have a few opening questions for you. The first is, imagine Job's story ending differently. Would it change the way we view maybe the lessons as we read through this book? Also, what about God's nature is revealed in the passage? Have you ever seen God restore or redeem something that seemed irreparable in your own life? And lastly, are you still waiting on a resolution or clarity to something in your life? How do you maintain your trust in God while you wait on Him to come through? And so, in our past five weeks, uh, we really have been on a pretty incredible ride. We have been up close and personal with Job, who was a righteous man. Uh, He was blameless and he was from the land of us. Many details of the story of Job are left out intentionally, like a time period or a historical fact. Job was not Jewish or any of the characters in this story. And the writer of Job, who, by the way, was anonymous, forces us to focus on the story of Job and the questions raised by his experience of deep suffering. We know from the first two chapters that Job loses absolutely everything. He loses his wealth, his family, and his health. But beginning in chapter 3, we read complex and elaborate discourses between Job and his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And all three friends create these hypothetical situations in which Job must have committed sins in order to receive the punishment that God was giving him. As we read this, we think, thanks a lot, friends. Good grief, could they offer anything else that was worth other than judgment? But all three friends all assert that God is just and therefore Job must have sinned to get what is coming to him. Job, over and over again through the entire book of Job, claims and vows his innocence and also says that God does not run the world according to justice. In fact, in one section, he actually says God is the reason for all injustice. But finally, whenever we uh, get to really uh, around middle of uh, Job chapter 30s, uh, somewhere in there, Job finally gets fed up with his friends and sends them away. And this is really a big deal because the first thing is they traveled a great vast distance just to be with him. So to send them away would have been pretty interesting, in fact. And the second is that they're the top minds of Eastern thought at the time. So who better to talk to than these three? But Job, in his frustration and distraction, asked God to show an answer for himself. And this is where our scripture picks up right out of Job 38, verses 1-7, through and I'll be reading out of the New International Version. And it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. 
Verse 5, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you must know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? And what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. That's kind of where we'll end our scripture reading. But it's here that we see God for the first time answer Job in the book. God presents himself in a storm or a whirlwind and responds to Job's direct questioning. This is a very powerful moment in the story of Job, but it's also kind of a terrifying one as God shows up in a huge storm. But God first responds to Job's accusation that he is unjust and incompetent at running the universe. This is a huge thing in the book. He then takes Job on this tour of the universe and asks him questions about the order of the world and also about the cosmos. Questions were presented kind of in this fashion. Hey, Job, were you around when I made and organized the constellations? Job, have you ever commanded the sunrise or controlled the weather? Then God starts describing in detail things like grazing habits about mountain goats and how deer give birth with their young, and also he talks about feeding patterns of wild lions and donkeys. And we kind of scratch our head at this and thinking, God, where are you really going with this? I mean, it's interesting, but but really, what's what's the purpose? We get that creation's beautiful, and we're kind of transported back to Genesis, but what's the point of all this? What is God really getting at with Job? But then remember the assumptions of Job and his friends that they asked God. They said he ought to run the world according to this principle of divine justice. But underneath this assumption and question is something actually much, much deeper. Job and his friends imagine that they have a wide enough perspective for which they can tell God how they think he ought to run the world. This virtual tour is God's way of deconstructing all of these assumptions that they have. It shows Job that the universe is a vast and complex place, but God's eyes are in all of it. In fact, every single detail. But Job, on the other hand, has only a small and limited horizon based upon his one life experience. What may look like divine injustice from Job's point of view needs to be seen in the greater context. Job is simply not in any position to make such huge accusations about the character of God. So after this tour that God takes him on, God asks Job if he would like to micromanage the universe for just a day. And really what he's getting at is, Job, do you really believe that the world is run by the principle of what goes around comes around? God was actually willing to let Job play God and punish every evil with a punishment that he saw fit for a day. But this leads God to his last and final point. He starts describing these two characters. God calls him the behemoth and the leviathan. Some people think that these are uh, ancient and poetic descriptions of a hippo and a crocodile. But they are supposed to symbolize this idea of disorder and danger found in God's good world. God says that they're not evil. In fact, he's pretty proud of them when he talks about them in the book of Job. But God's point at bringing these creatures up is to state the fact that the world is a good place, but it's also not safe. It has order and beauty, but it's wild and it's dangerous. So back to our big question surrounding Job and his friends. How do yours account for suffering in God's good world? 
God doesn't ever explain or answer this question. His response is that we simply live in an extremely complex and amazing world that he created. And at this stage, at least, it's not designed to prevent suffering. And that God's response, Job challenged God's justice, and God replied that Job doesn't have sufficient knowledge to understand all the world's complexity. Job demanded a full explanation, but God asked Job to trust in his wisdom and his character. So we have to ask ourselves, how does this story end that we've been going through the last six weeks? We know it started off in a place of repentance and prayer and worship. So how does it end? Well, the same way it began. Job responds with repentance and humility. He apologizes for accusing God of injustice and acknowledges that he has actually overstepped his bounds. God says that Job and his three friends were wrong. That their ideas about God were just simply too simple. It is as if God's approval shows that this is the right way to process issues. Even though Job didn't always have the correct uh, things to say about God, at least he was honest and he struggled through prayer and worship. This story ends with Job having his health, his family, and his wealth all restored. Now, it is very, very important here to keep in mind that the restoration of Job is not a reward for good or righteous behavior. It's simply a generous gift given to Job by God. The book doesn't ever seek to unlock the puzzle of why bad things happen to good people, like we've been asking for the last few weeks. Instead of trying to figure out the reasons for suffering, we are invited to trust God and His wisdom. When we search for reasons... We tend to either simplify God like Job's friends, or we become like Job and accuse God based upon the evidence that we can see right in front of us. Job invites us to honestly bring our pain and our grief and our unanswered questions to God and trust that he cares and knows what he's doing. It is the wisdom found in the book, and so what do we do with all this? How can we put this into practice or take some things away? I think that we can start by unseeing the world the way we tend to view it, especially in light of our Christian context. What if we quit expecting good rewards for God based upon our good behavior or our deeds that we do for Him throughout the week? Job never claimed that God was this cosmic vending machine waiting to give out good things whenever we're really good. We need to see God as someone who's wise and loves to give gifts to His children especially the kind that they don't deserve. The interesting thing about Job is that he never deserved any of his suffering. But interestingly enough, he never deserved the gift he got at the end of the book either. This is so true of us too. While Job never gets an answer to why he suffered, he does find peace and trusting in a God who is with him. And we too can find peace and trust in God in our context. This can totally be said of somebody who you might have heard a a story about. It's Horatio G. Spafford. We might know this because he wrote the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Spafford planned an European vacation for his family in 1873, and in November of that year, he had an unexpected last-minute business development and had to remain in Chicago while his family went before him and sailed for Europe. Amongst his family was his wife and his four daughters. 
It was expected that they would only take a few days to get there. But on November 22nd, the ship was struck by another ship, an English vessel, and it sank in 12 short minutes. Several days later, the survivors finally landed in Wales, and his wife, Miss Spafford, cabled her husband, who was still in Chicago, I was saved alone. Spafford left immediately and went to join his wife in England, and the hymn It Is Well With My Soul is said to have been penned as he approached the area of the ocean, thought to be where the ship carried his daughters, where they had perished. It was once said that the Lord does not ask us to ignore our suffering. Rather, he calls us to have confidence and faith that he will bring us through the suffering. So let's think for a moment about what is troubling us. Well, for one, a global pandemic, racial tension, increasing violence, divisiveness, injustice of the poor, a growing trend between disparity and wealth. Maybe you've recently had a medical diagnosis that you don't understand. Maybe your children aren't doing well in the midst of school and pandemic. But Job is the book of us. It is our book. It's the book that asks life's greatest questions. And it answers and points us to God. That he created this good world and he can be trusted. And while we sometimes do not get what we deserve, sometimes we receive what we don't deserve too. Because God always gives out forgiveness, salvation, regeneration, and His Spirit. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And He's with us right now in this podcast, and He's with you after the podcast ends. He can take us and make us holy, He can make us into the very likeness of Jesus. And this is definitely what we do not deserve. I think a lot of people, when they read through Job, really focus on the suffering of Job. And the book does really, it's modeled in a way to have us really investigate that suffering. But we often just kind of breeze over the gift given to Job at the end or think that he deserved it. Whenever really, God is giving away free gifts all the time, and we just don't understand given the complexity of suffering. So in light of all this, let's think back to our questions. Imagine that Job's story had ended differently. Imagine that he didn't get a good gift or everything restored at the end of the book. Would it change the way we view the lesson in Job? I really think it would. I don't think if things were restored, we might think that God is cruel or or unjust, or that he didn't see Job. Because we, didn't, we do tend to base... A lot of our um, a lot of our theology around uh, kind of this reward uh, this reward mentality that if I'm good and I'm being faithful, then God will somehow reward me. And we've really got to kind of wash that out of our mind. We really got to come back to the thought process of it's well with my soul. Whatever comes, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to trust Him because He. He knows more than me. My bandwidth is too small. His, he understands the complexity of the universe, and I don't. I need to rely upon that wisdom that he's giving. Uh, We definitely need to remember this in light that Job is a book of wisdom as well as Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. But we really have to remember that this is a book of wisdom, and it is to be trusted. The next question is, 
What about God's nature is revealed in this passage? Well, it reveals that God is there, that God answers, even when we sometimes don't understand or when we're on an emotional roller coaster. And have you ever seen God restore or redeem something that seemed irreparable in your own life? And of course, I think many of us have. I think we've seen God do incredible things and redeem things that we didn't think could ever be redeemed, whether it be a relationship, whether it be um, maybe uh, an addiction that we were able to let go of, uh, or whether it be just a second chance at life. And lastly, are you still waiting on a resolution or clarity for something in your life? And how do you maintain your trust in God while you wait? I know that this was really tough for Job considering he had three friends who were kind of always kind of creating these hypothetical situations about things that he wasn't doing. And I really think that this is a really strong warning, really, about we need to be very careful who we allow in our circle. We need to be very careful about who we allow to speak wisdom and truth in our life because really what we see is in the book of Job, they spent 20-something chapters being distracted on this whole idea of is is God just, is he unjust, is he good, is he not good? Uh, Whenever really if God had had, uh, if Job had had really good counsel, uh, maybe he wouldn't have been distracted for 20 chapters and would have immediately just stayed in a place of worship and repentance. That's definitely something to think about. But again, I hope that you have enjoyed these past six weeks in the book of Job. I know that um, we're definitely headed in a very different direction beginning next week, kind of more towards um, our holiday uh, podcasting, moving into uh, places of Thanksgiving and also our Advent season. Um, but again, thank you for joining us for the, the past six weeks of Pieces, the story of Job. If you have any questions, feel free to leave them in the comment section. And again, thank you for joining us uh, for Above the Waves, a podcast presented by the Salvation Army of Hot Springs. Take care. God bless.